Hello, everyone. Thank you again for joining Dorsey Ross on this episode of The Dorsey Ross Show. In this episode, Dorsey interviews another special guest that will give you hope and inspire you. Hello, everyone. Thank you again for joining Dorsey on another episode of The Dorsey Ross Podcast. As always, Dorsey will share from his heart and give you a very inspiring message. Now, here is your host, Dorsey Ross. Ladies and gentlemen, we thank you again for joining me on another episode of the Dorsey Ross Podcast. Today, we have a special guest with us. His name is Bill Hobson. And he has 35 years of experience in sports broadcasting. He has been blessed to interview some of the best-known athletes, musicians, entertainers, and heroes. And sometimes he has even been able to interview some unknown sources of inspiration or powerful stories to share, which we will get into today. Bill, thank you for joining me on the Dorsey Ross Show. Well, I really appreciate the invitation. Thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. Well, tell us about who you are and what you do. Well, I'm uh, the husband of one, the father of two. (laughs) I always try to make sure I say that correctly. If you get those numbers (laughs) reversed, it gets a little bit awkward. And I'm 53 years old. I'm in Michigan. And ever since I was a young boy, I have been involved in one way or another in media. In fact, uh, my company has a motto. We have a saying, and that is, we tell your story. And we try to help communicate on behalf of our partners, whether they're for-profit businesses or whether they may be faith-based ministries. We try to help them take their stories and present them in a compelling way. I mean, some of the greatest joys of my professional life really come from those times when you can help a ministry that's really, really good at what they do, but they struggle to tell that story. We love coming alongside them and helping to present it so that it touches the hearts of the audience and hopefully eventually leads that listener, that viewer, or that audience member to take action, whether it's to go volunteer or maybe donate or or just pray for that ministry. So that's kind of what we do. We help tell stories. Yeah, that's great. How did you get started in broadcasting, even at way back at the age of 14? I had, and I still have, an extremely supportive father. Both my parents are, but my dad had car dealerships. And As you have seen over the years, everybody listening has seen over the years, most of the time, car dealership commercials are terrible. And we were no exception. Ours were really, really bad. And I was in them. So I can say that. But my dad knew that that was something that interested me. So he made sure that the advertising agencies that he worked with put myself and my sister in some commercials that we really hope the tapes never resurface. They're pretty rough, but it got me hooked on the concept of presenting messages. And it started way back then. And a few years after those first commercials, some really kind people in radio, again, my dad was advertising on their station, so they were somewhat motivated to do something above and beyond. I began to work as an unpaid 
intern, just doing the, the grunt work. And I came in contact with a sports casting in Michigan. He was the legendary figure. And he invited me to be his sports intern. And I got to start at the age of 17 covering the Detroit Pistons, the bad boys. So remember Bill Lambeer and Rick Mahorn and Isaiah Thomas and Dennis Rodman and John Sally. I was at every home game. I was in the locker room with those guys in the playoffs. Sometimes I got to make road trips. And, you know, while my friends were largely doing what high school kids did after school, I, I was covering the Pistons and um, really started pretty early. And um, in many ways, I've, I've never stopped holding microphones and talking. Yeah, that must have been some experience, you know, being able to see that and do that and possibly even interview some of those guys. Yeah, yeah it really was. In fact, I'll tell you a funny story. I went to the University of Michigan, and in my freshman year, I chose to take a broadcasting production class. It was the kind of thing that I had been doing for four or five years already. But so I figured it's an easy two or three credits, whatever it was, that they were teaching you how to make commercials. And I'd been doing that. So we got an assignment one day from the professor. And the assignment was to go and interview anybody, your neighbor, your grandpa, your postman, whatever, just interview them, record it, and then write a transcript. So just QA, QA, you know, just she wanted us to get accustomed to doing interviews. So I was like, okay, no problem. That night I had a game, Pistons game. So I went a little bit early and I, I said hello to Joe Dumars, who is one of my all-time favorite players. He's a very nice man. And I told him, I said, Joe, I, can I bother you for a few minutes? I got an assignment for school. He's like, yeah, pull up a chair, sit down. We talked for a while about charity and about faith and things like that. So the next class, whenever it met again, that's what I turned in. And she gave me a D. And I was, I was stunned. So I waited until after class and I went to the professor and I said, what in the world? Why do I have a D? And she said, it's supposed to be an actual interview, not one that you fabricated. <laughs> do you have any idea what I do away from this classroom? And she said, no. And I said, if I can go and get the tape of the interview, will you change the grade? And she thought I was blowing smoke at her. She said, well, sure. So I went out to the car, brought in a cassette tape. Everybody remember cassette tapes? Probably not. And uh, long story short, she her eyes got very wide. And I said, this is what I do at night. And uh, the grade quickly changed. So those memories go way back. But they were really good. And they were very important in the development of interviewing techniques and uh, just kind of being able to better present a story. Right. Don't offer that interviewing people who are some of the people that you have interviewed over your years and who are your favorites well a lot of the work that i do is in the world of professional golf believe it or not i have a program called michigan golf live i have a podcast called the four golfers network so i've interviewed a lot of the players on the pga tour and the pga tour champions so the older guys over the years but to be honest with you dorsey the program that I host called The Big Impact, which is a podcast that um, features inspirational stories, has provided some of the most powerful conversations that I've ever had in my life. And we've only been doing that show since 2017. I've had the privilege of interviewing, let's see, Hall of Fame athletes, Grammy Award winners, Purple Heart recipients, 
and a lot of people you've never heard of, but who have incredible stories. Two days ago, I was playing in a golf event to benefit a veterans museum, and I had the privilege of interviewing one of only 63 living Medal of Honor recipients. Oh, wow. And it took this gentleman 47 years before the military decided to give him the Medal of Honor. He's a Vietnam veteran, and the medal was eventually put around his neck by President Trump in 2016. You talk about a 47-year journey where even if you're trying to forget some of the things that happened, it keeps being on top of mind because of all the paperwork and all that kind of thing. I interviewed a guy who had a double organ transplant, his heart and his kidney transplant at the same time, had to fly out to Beverly Hills, the only place in the country that would do it. He died several times. He's a man of faith, strong believer, and the stories that he told of the miracles that took place to get him through all of that and to get his family out through all of that. It's the kind of thing that, you know, I mean, really, while you're talking to them, it brings tears to your eyes. So I used to be pretty good at always throwing out big names when somebody would say, who, you know, who have you interviewed that I would want to know? You know, Barry Sanders and some of these other. And the truth is, I have gotten more of a blessing out of everyday people living real life and being willing to share their stories than anything else. There's so many good, encouraging testimonies out there. That's great. How has your faith played a role in what you do? That's a great question, and I'm, I'm glad you asked it because I'm a million miles away from perfect, but I thankfully have set some rules a long time ago for what I would do and how I would do it, and if it was going to cost me money to stick to my guns, I was going to lose that money. So, you know, I host a TV show that's carried in about seven and a half million homes, and we don't accept any advertising from businesses that we would find to be in contradiction to my faith. I'm not issuing any judgment on your listeners, but it's very popular in a golf and a, we do kind of a travel show where we travel the world and show off great destinations. It would be very popular for us to take money from, you know, vodka companies or cigar companies, especially casinos and that kind of thing. I just personally am not comfortable doing that. And I've been, I've been told on more than one occasion, you're crazy. You're losing tens of thousands of dollars. And I, you know, lo and behold, my lights are still on. I'm still eating a little too much. My family's all clothed, and the Lord has provided in some powerful ways. So I'm very thankful. My life verse is Philippians 1.20, according to my earnest expectation and hope. I will in all ways glorify God in my body, whether it be through life or through death. I don't want to forfeit that privilege because somebody offered me money or advancement or some opportunity. And um, we try every day. I was asked on another radio interview by a guy, he said, that, you know, you do this stuff in media, but then there's another side of my life where I work exclusively with ministries, as I mentioned to you earlier, and their messaging and their fundraising. And he said, and you do that. So on one hand, you're with Tiger Woods, and on the other hand, you're at a homeless shelter. And he said, it's almost like there are two of you. And I said, man, I hope not. I want to be the same person, no matter where I am, no matter what I'm doing. I just happen to have a really weird resume. Right. But it still is all to the glory of God, no matter what I'm doing. And I do pray each day, 
Lord, I pray that you will make the opportunities available that you want me to have to take advantage of. And I hope you'll give me the wisdom to say no when I'm supposed to. And um, that's my prayer. And I hope not to screw it up too often. Right. You know, I'm an evangelist and I travel around and speak. And I started this podcasting back in 2019, 2020. And I'm, you know, similar to what you said. Regardless if I'm on a podcast show sharing my story or I'm out doing ministry in the church, I want to be the same person of in my faith and what I believe. Yes. And one of the reasons for that, and you know this, Dorsey, I'm not telling you anything you don't know. People are watching very carefully how, quote unquote, Christians act. Right. I just was talking with a, a very close friend yesterday who was talking to me about a really unfortunate example set by an older lady of faith that was witnessed by a younger lady that others were trying to win to Christ. And that younger lady said that right there, that is why I don't want to be a Christian because I don't want to act like that. And, you know, listen, I, I won't try to get into all the minutia of that story, but it made me very sad. And it also reminded me that I am to let my light shine before men so that they may see my good works and glorify my Father in heaven. Not to glorify me. This is not about me. It's not about Dorsey. It's not about anybody out there. That's why Rick Warren sold 40 million copies of Purpose Driven Life. The question was, what is all this about? And his answer was, it's not about you. And it's the same thing. And so we are called as believers to reflect the light of Christ into a really dark world. It's one of the reasons I started the Big Impact program, because I'm trying to inject positive content into a culture that really needs it. And so that's kind of one of the joys of my life these days is telling those stories and trying to trying to somehow encourage someone who might need encouragement. Right. What are some lessons that you have learned from men and women who have dealt with life toughest moments and still keep going? Yeah, man, powerful stuff. As recently as last night, we lost a dear friend who the father of my brother-in-law, so my sister's husband's dad, slipped in his bathroom. He's an older gentleman, hit his head, never woke up. Life is precious. It is fragile. Scripture says that we are like a vapor or like a mist. We are here and then we are gone. There's nobody living to be 900 like Moses. We are out of here. And I certainly don't want to waste those times. And I think the older I get, the more I start to think about the brevity of what's left. My best friend has an app. I don't even know what it's called, but the app is you can put in some information and it will spit out the day you're going to die. Okay. It's the goofiest thing I've ever heard of. And so he tells everybody the date. It's like 40 years, 30 something years from now. But he'll, he says to me, this app has a tracker on it with a number, like a countdown number of days. Obviously it's all hyperbole, but he does, and he's a man of faith and he's not taking it too seriously, but he does say that it's powerful for him to be reminded that there is a ticker going somewhere. We're only here as long as the Lord wants us here. 
And uh, I'm glad that he has blessed me with life and, and pretty good health. I'm glad that my wife is healthy, the kids are doing well. And while we have these opportunities, we as a culture have got to start focusing more on what we can do for one other person at a time. That's it. You don't have to change the world. You don't have to go speak at a crowded stadium. You don't have to sell 40 million books. What if you just walked over to your neighbor and said, hey, why don't we go grab a cup of coffee? I don't know you very well. Or just something to encourage somebody. And it really boils down to trying to do something special for somebody else. Right. You've interviewed thousands of people from all walks of life. Do you find something inspiring in every one of them? Almost. You know, there's a few times where you'll end up, um, and maybe you've had this, I don't know, uh, Dorsey, about how your podcast connects with guests, but every once in a while you'll get contacted by a PR firm that will oversell the guest and you'll then you'll be like, I wish I had not done this. But <laughs> 99% of the time, there are really cool things that you'll hear from everybody you visit with. I had on the program just a few weeks ago, a lady who specializes really in kind of marriage advice and, and seminars and things. And that it's interesting, you know, you would think that all of your episodes, you know, you might have a Hall of Fame athlete and that that would have a lot of downloads, a lot of people listening to it. I have found that things that deal with practical real life issues are the ones that really attract the most attention. And this particular lady gave some great advice. And I have heard from so many people who said, I've, I've never heard of your show before. I have no idea who you are. But I was Googling the subject of, can I save my marriage? And this came up and man, did it, it was a game changer. That's not credit to me. I didn't do that. I didn't know that was going to happen. I didn't have that in mind. But the guest provided the inspiration. And to me, that's, that's when it's really good. When, when all I have to do is kind of sit back, lead the questioning, and then I learn something as well. I don't know it all. I'm guessing, Dorsey, you probably only know about 94% of it. So, you know, you've got, we both have things to learn. I love it when guests can teach me things like that. Right, absolutely. We all don't know everything. Only God knows everything. Yep. What's your favorite story featuring someone our audience has never heard of? Well, let me give you a couple of them. One, they may have heard of him because he was featured in a movie on Amazon Prime. And he was a member of the Gaither vocal band. So he is Russ Taff, Grammy oh, yeah. Award winner. Okay. But Russ's movie on Amazon, his life story, is incredible, I still believe, going through alcoholism and thoughts of suicide and all of those things and seeing his life redeemed and brought all the way back. It was really something else. So that's one that probably falls in the category of a few of your listeners going, wait, I know that guy. He said somebody you don't know. But that's one that I have on, on top of mind. From somebody that we don't know, I'm scanning through my mental Rolodex here to see who would be kind of at the top of that leaderboard list. Because when you run down all of these different things, all these different names, I probably have a 20-way tie for first place. But let me give you one. The gentleman's name is Greg Nance, N-A-N-C-E. Greg Nance was near death because of his addiction to cocaine and meth. He, uh, thankfully, he found Christ, or Christ found, uh, Christ knew where he was all the time, so he found Christ. 
and began to turn his life around and to replace the addiction, he began running. I mean, think about Forrest Gump. He just began running like crazy. And Greg Nance is now one of the world's foremost, what we call ultra marathoners. He ran seven marathons in seven days on seven continents. Okay. Back to back. It was ridiculous. I mean, how does that even happen? Nobody can do that. Just found him incredibly genuine in his communication. And of course, the whole story of, of his recovery is amazing. I'll give you one more. In Frankenmuth, Michigan, I know that sounds like a weird town, but in Michigan, it's the number one tourist destination. It's a little German village, German town in the middle of the state. And they have the world's largest Christmas store and the world famous chicken dinner. So, you know, a couple million people come to Frankenmuth every year. One of the businesses in town is called Colonel Benny's Gourmet Popcorn. Well, Colonel Benny, Benny himself, is a young man who is, as the result of an automobile accident that killed his brother, Benny is very much disabled, mentally kind of stopped in his tracks in junior high. But the love of his mother, the love of his mother was dedicated to him every single day since And through the help of another person in the community, uh, they found something Benny could do. Benny can make popcorn, and Benny can make gourmet popcorn. And they have opened a business that has now gone around the globe, and it's based out of Frankenmuth, Michigan. And it is the coolest thing ever because Benny's there every day, and he's Colonel Benny. Um, And I sat down with Mom, and I sat down with Benny, and I'm telling you, you don't come away from that love of son and mother story without some tears in your eyes. And man, I just love it when everyday people end up being the source of great inspiration. Yeah, definitely. Now, I know you mainly focus on golf, and there'll be a golf question after this, but do you think that Tim Tebow can make a comeback with being a tight end? No, I don't. And I'm a big fan of Tim Tebow. I think that few people have been as abused for their faith and for their purity is Tim Tebow. It's ridiculous. It's shameful how this largely the secular culture has treated a guy who's never done anything to earn that hate, except kind of be out there and keep himself in shape. He's not in NFL shape. And I think Urban Meyer, I think part of the motivation, to be honest with you, is the merchandising sales because he's now the number one selling jersey in the NFL, which is fascinating for a guy who's really not on a roster. I want nothing but the best for Tim, but it is near impossible unless you're a kicker to sit out of the NFL for five years and then try to jump back into it. Now, might he stick around and catch a couple of passes? That's possible. I mean, he's in fantastic shape, but it's really unlikely that he's going to be a factor for very long. And I don't have any problem with him doing it. Training camp, you can have as many people on that roster. I think it's 90 man roster. So, for any players out there who are mad that it happened, I say get better. <laughs> Make it impossible for them to overlook you. And for me, the more that we can give Tebow and other men of faith like him a platform, I'm all for it. Right. Here's another golf athlete. Do you think that Tiger Woods will ever return to competition after his last accident? Well, I have been wrong so many times about Tiger Woods. I, 
One of the things that I do is a weekly radio show. It's on 13 stations about golf called Michigan Golf Live. And so we're, you know, we're taking calls and we're doing all sorts of things with our audience. And when Tiger was injured, of course, that question came up quite a bit. And I, I have now refused to go officially on the record with an actual prediction. But I will say a couple of things that we need to, um, we need to really think about in relationship to Tiger. Yeah, he's very fortunate to be alive. That we know. But he's also very fortunate that nobody else got killed. Right. He has had some incidents behind the wheel of vehicles that very easily could have ended in horrendous tragedy for other people. And I'm really hoping that this latest round, uh, the accident and the really pretty severe injuries to his legs, I do hope he heals. Absolutely. But I also really hope that he, he changes, you know. When you're at that status in life, you don't even have to drive anymore. Everywhere you go, everybody you know will send a car for you. And I know you're independent and you're the man and you're the alpha dog in the room and everything. But dude, if it's going to be a problem for you, let's just let somebody else pick you up. It should have happened that morning when he was running late and who knows what all transpired. But do I think I'll ever see him hoist a a big novelty trophy again and uh, give a speech at a tournament? As a champion, I don't I really think that's going to happen. I've been wrong before, though, as I said. You have a, a podcast with other pastors talking about sports. How did this come about? <laughs> we have so much fun. It's called Church Pew Sports, and it started a few months ago, and here's how. I go to a church with a really awesome staff of pastors. It's a fairly sizable church. There's a couple thousand people. So there's a, you know, a handful of pastors and a few of us, every time there's some game on, I'm one of the elders of the church. Every time uh, there's some game on, we are just texting like little, little schoolgirls. I mean, it's ridiculous. We, we just, every play, everything, we're just texting on and on and on. And finally, and it's funny stuff. And at least it's funny to us. And so finally I said to one of my good friends, I said, you know, this really should just be a podcast. And, you know, none of them knew how to make that happen. And I said, you guys don't have to worry about it. Just bring the vocal version of our texts to your microphones and I'll take care of the rest. And we invented Church Pew Sports right on the spot. And um, if you have a chance to listen to it, we have pastor, we have guest pastors on every week. And we've actually had some pretty big name guests come on which sort of surprised me because they said yes to a show that really hardly existed, but it's really been fun. And here's how we phrase it. Church Pew Sports is where pastors talk sports and life. It's kind of like Barstool, but without the swearing. (laughs) And um, that's kind of how we do it. But yeah, I really enjoy that. We have a blast. In fact, another episode comes every week, every Sunday, a new episode comes out. Nice. Now, we know that you do ministry and helping with ministers and, you know, you talk sports and everything. But you also talk about, help out with homelessness and people who are insulted. What misconceptions do most people have about the homeless and the shelters that they come from? Oh, man, that's such a good question, Dorsey. A couple of misconceptions. Number one, that they're stupid. They're not. When I first began working I'll back up for a second. When I came out of college, I began working at a Fox TV station. I stayed there for about 10 years, and I left there on my own volition to begin working at a homeless shelter 
as the development director. The reason I did that was because I went over to meet the new executive director and we had lunch. I thought we were going out to lunch. We didn't. We sat in the cafeteria at a table of men in their recovery program. And I began visiting with these guys. And I met a guy who was a former professional athletic trainer. I met a former General Motors engineer. I met a former school teacher and on and on. And I wasn't prepared for that. You know, we don't ever think that folks who are homeless or in need of emergency help, we don't usually think of them in terms of having having had their lives together at one point. A lot of them did and then made a series of decisions that led them to a place they never wanted to be. Uh, okay, so please, folks, listen carefully. There's not a soul on earth who dreamed while they were growing up that someday, if they were lucky, if they did things right, they'd get to stay at a homeless shelter. Nobody thought that. So everybody who's there is at the end of their line. They burned all their bridges. They have nowhere else to go. The homeless shelter is your last stop, not your first stop. And um, that's one of the great misconceptions that I try all the time to straighten out. And another misconception is that these homeless shelters are scary places. I'm telling you, they are, they are cleaner than most people's living rooms because those who are staying there, most of the gospel rescue missions I work with, the people who are staying there work to help keep it clean. And it's part of putting your life back together. It's having responsibility. It's seeing the byproduct of your effort, of your work. And it's, uh, it's also part of programs where you're going to do Bible study and you're going to have uh, job training. You're going to have resume education classes so that at some point you can get back on your feet. You can have a foundation of faith. And hopefully, along with breaking free from perhaps an addiction, if that's part of your story, Maybe you can also rebuild that family that was torn apart, perhaps through the different steps of harm that, that were caused. The layers of it are deep. Some inspiring stories have come from the rescue missions around this country. And in most every community, there is a gospel rescue mission where they will meet your physical needs, hopefully as an opening, a door opener to helping meet long-term, eternal, spiritual needs. And that's why I love working with those places so much. Yeah, that's interesting thoughts there. As we end, I usually ask my guests to give an inspirational thought or inspirational comment to our guests as we end. Oh, man. Well, thanks for that opportunity. Here's what I would encourage you to do. Go out of your way inconvenience yourself on behalf of somebody else. I want to just draw briefly on the story of the paralytic in Mark chapter 2. You know, he was laying out on a mat in a part of the town where the town square, where people just always saw him there, just kept walking around him or stepping over him. And all of a sudden, these four friends came together and said, you know what? We heard that this guy named Jesus is teaching inside this room. We've got to get our buddy in there. And they went over and they saw that it was so crowded, nobody else could get in. So did they give up, go home and play Fortnite for 17 hours? <laughs> no. No. They found a way to get the guy in through the roof. Now, I love to tell that story from the perspective of whoever it was that owned that building where Jesus was teaching. Because if he's standing in the back of the room, 
and he starts to see rubble fall in from his roof. And then all of a sudden he realizes he has a skylight that he did not have a few minutes before. You got to be thinking, what is going on here? The interesting part of it all to me is that Jesus never, we're not, we don't read anywhere in the accounts of this moment where Jesus stopped teaching and said, what in my name is going on here? He already knew all this. And we see as the story progresses that the easy thing for Jesus to do was heal that man's legs. You remember what he said to the four friends in front of the Pharisees who were, who were aghast that he would claim that he could forgive sins. He said, so that they know that I can forgive sins, I say to you, take up your mat and get on out of here. The easy part was the healing of the physical malady. The miracle was the healing of the man's heart. And it was all a byproduct of the inconvenient effort of four friends who did the unusual. I've preached this message a few times where you wonder what the conversation was like out around the mat. You know, the guy was paralyzed. I didn't say he was deaf. So I'm guessing he had some sort of a say in this. And I got to I gotta wonder if he heard them say, well, why don't we why don't we take him up through the roof? I wonder if he said, hey, wait, whoa, wait, wait a minute. How do you think that's gonna happen? And you know, did one of them say, What are you worried about? You're already paralyzed. I mean, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know how it went, but what we do know is there's a powerful example of when four friends went out of their way to help someone. And my prayer for your audience today is that you would just identify one person in your world, maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's a friend, who needs something. And you've been kind of hemming and hawing about it and kind of thinking somebody, somebody ought to do something for them. Let that somebody be you. Amen. Well, thank you, Bill, for joining me again on this episode. I greatly appreciate you coming on and sharing. Man, I can't thank you enough. It's been a pleasure. And I hope that you're, project your podcast continues to grow and more and more people pay attention to it and i know you have a very powerful story yourself so thanks for letting me spend a few minutes with you it's been an honor definitely well guys thank you again for joining me and until next time have a great day god bless thank you very much for joining us today on the dorsey ross podcast Please don't forget to check out Dorsey's website at www.dorseyrossministries.com and also check out his book titled Overcomer, where he shares his story of what God has done in his life. You can also donate to his ministry or to this podcast as well. Until next time, God bless and have a great day. Thank you again for joining Dorsey Ross on this episode of The Dorsey Ross Show. Please like, share, and tell others about the show. Also, please check out the other podcast episodes. And if you would like, donate to this podcast and buy Dorsey a coffee. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll catch you in the next episode.